couple things I want to mention to you, and then we'll get into to God's Word. Number one, we are, if you are retired or you're available in the morning or a little later in the afternoon and you would like a job as a bus driver, we are desperately in need of bus drivers. And uh, you, can, you can let me know and I'll pass that info on to Chris Ellison uh, or you can just contact him through the office. You can write it on your Connect card. Um, like everyone else, we're just having a hard time uh, finding employees and we desperately need bus drivers and we pay uh, like 20 bucks an hour. So it's not uh, chump change. And if you want to work in the morning and the afternoon, you can have a route and you can do both. If you want available one or the other, uh, we can work that out as well. So uh, I don't normally do one ads, but uh, I thought I'd do one this morning just for the heck of it. So if you're an adult and you would uh, like a job as a bus driver, we desperately need it for our after school care, pick up the kids at the school, schools and uh, take them both this campus and uh, Bartlett. Also, on your handout you got today on the, on the side where the sermon outline is, at the bottom you'll see a thing concerning starting point. Starting point is our class. We do it twice a year. And kind of if you're new to Christ Church and those of you that are watching virtually, uh, certainly for you as well. And I know you're at the lake or you're out on the water or I'm sure you're watching or wherever you happen to be down in Gulf Shores and uh, Orange Beach or Hot Springs, wherever you happen to be, I know you're watching. So also God knows whether or not you're watching. I'll let you take that up with him. But uh, we do the class twice a year, and Mike Clay is one of our elders. He, uh, Mike's actually here today, and I'll let him close if he wants to say anything else about it. But we're starting our next class on the 19th. So if you're new to Christ Church or you want to know who we are, because we're an independent, non-denominational church, like to know where we're coming from, what we believe, what we stand for, our history. Uh, the starting point is supposed to be six weeks. It ends up being, what, six years? That's if I do it, it's six years. But it's about six, eight weeks. Uh, half of them will be at uh, Bartlett, half of them will be here, if you can see both campuses, uh, one of our elders will be uh, teaching it, so if you've got questions, you have the right person there, and that next class is on the 19th of October, you may have been here a long time, just never gone through class, it's incredibly beneficial if you haven't, I think you would really enjoy it and learn a lot, and uh, that's starting on the 19th, and if you want to fill out a connect card and give it to me or Mike or Rhiannon, I'll make sure Mike gets it, if you, don't, if you give it to one of us. Uh, Mike's information is on there. You can just email him or contact him if you'd like to be part of that class. And again, it's going to start on the 19th of September. And also, please make note if you can, it's on your calendar for future reference. We're going to have a congregation, our annual congregational meetings on October 3rd. And we're going to do it at the Bartlett campus. We'll leave here and go there. You can eat. And then we'll go right into the meeting and then just spend that Sunday afternoon together, both campuses, just kind of hanging out and having fun and, and uh, playing games with each other. So, like, we'll have volleyball. So if you're from, like, Arlington Volleyball versus Bart, no, we don't do that because we'll lose, right? I don't know, we got, we got some of you that play for the school, like Aaron Wynn, so we might be good. I don't know. I could stand out there and laugh. So it's, uh, if we're talking about having a dunk tank, and I decided we weren't doing that because I've done that before. All right. So put that on your calendar for October 3rd, and... Uh, kind of give you an update on where we are with next door and just uh, how the year has gone, what God is doing. And I, God never ceases to amaze me, and I ought to know this by now, being a Christian for 51 years, I ought to know by now that God 
is faithful and he just uh, constantly, almost daily, is reminding me in little ways that I'm here and I'm taking care of you and I'm, and I'm taking care of uh, your concerns. Trust me. What's the thing with the entire Bible? Well, back at 2-4. You all got it memorized, right? I'll call out somebody by name and ask them to, why's everybody doing this over here? Brock? No. I'm going to call somebody out my name to jump up and say, what does Habakkuk 2.4 say? Habakkuk 2.4, which is the theme of the entire Bible, says the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous means those who are children of God, those who are his, his. We trust him. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. It's a trust in the God who's proven himself to be trustworthy. So let's go to John chapter 10 and kind of look at who that God is. Uh, you may need to turn me down a little bit more. I'm echoing like crazy. I don't know what you guys are hearing, but that's what I'm hearing. All right, thank you. John chapter 10. What we've been looking at, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to wrap it up today in our series on Jesus is, who is Jesus? He is the great I am. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus said, I, before Abraham was, I am. So what we looked at last week in the first few verses is Jesus gives them an illustration that I am the door. And his illustration is, I am the true shepherd. So what we're going to look at today is the application that Jesus then makes of the illustration. So if you notice there on your handout, point number one, Jesus enters as the true shepherd. He enters by the door. We've already gone over all that. We're not going to do it again. He's welcomed by the doorkeeper or the gatekeeper to the sheepfold, and then he is followed by the sheep. He calls them individually by name. He leads them out. He goes before them, and they trust him. That's the illustration that Jesus gives to this group. Context is always important when you're studying the Bible. Just quickly setting the context again of what's going on in John chapter 10. Jesus in John chapter 9 heals a man with congenital blindness that everyone knows that he's been, he's been blind from birth. They all know the audience is Jewish. Specifically, Jesus is addressing two things here. One, the Pharisees to point out their being, them being false shepherds. We'll get to that in a moment. And then he's saying to the crowd at large, and all Jewish, I don't want you to follow the false shepherds. I don't want you to be like the Pharisees who were their spiritual leaders. I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me because I am the true shepherd as opposed to the Pharisees who are false shepherds. What we're going to see today as we look at this principle that Jesus lays out for them, the application of the fact that I am the door, what does he mean by that? That God is incredibly serious about false shepherds and how the judgment that awaits them for misleading his sheep, lying to them, Leading, being a blind guy, being full of dead men's bones, looking really good on the outside, like a whitewashed tomb, but inside full of dead men's bones, being poisonous snakes, being children of Satan. All of those things are what Jesus says to the Pharisees. We're going to see that. But God, and we're going to see what God says, even in the Old Testament, how serious he was about someone standing up before his people and saying, thus saith the Lord, and lying to them, misleading them. And then being a poor example for them. God takes that very seriously. That's why as a pastor, teacher, as an elder, as, as someone, I've been doing this now for 37 plus years. And when young 
men in particular and even ladies say, I want to go in the ministry. I look at them and say, if you can do anything else with your life and feel like that's God can bless, you need to do that. Because God takes this very serious as those of us who stand behind this holy pulpit should as well, that we're always saying to you, thus saith the Lord, and we better be right. Better get into the word, study it, apply it in your own life, and then share the truth so that people can understand this is what my God wants from me. So that's what Jesus is doing. And I want you to notice point two on your handout is what we're going to do today. We're going to finish this, right? Yes, we're going to finish this today. All right. Jesus' application, verse 7, John chapter 10. Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, there it is again, I with absolute authority speak to you absolute truth. I am the door of the sheep. Go back to verse 6. Jesus used this illustration about the door to the sheep and the sheepfold. He used this illustration, but they, specifically the, the scribes and the Pharisees he's addressing here, they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Remember, these were experts in the law. These were experts in God's word. They knew it. They had it memorized. They knew it backwards and forwards. What they didn't know was the God of the law. What they didn't know was the God of their scriptures. They just simply, it was for them, it was religion for religion's sake. We have more knowledge than you. We're more spiritual than you, but we're self-righteous. They didn't understand what it meant to truly be righteous. The righteous shall live by faith. Those who are surrendered and trust God, not those who think they're better than everyone else, which is what the Pharisees were. So the context, Jesus is saying to them, look back at verse 2 for a moment. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus had given them an illustration, and now he says to them, I know you don't get it, but here's what I'm telling you. I am the Messiah. Remember, the audience is Jewish. In contrast to the Pharisees around you, I am true. I am genuine. I am the real shepherd. I am Messiah. My resume, tribe of Judah, descendant of David, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. I'm the healer of the blind, the deaf, and the lame. I'm the great prophet, greater than even Moses. I am the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies that you've heard your entire lives, and your fathers heard, and their fathers heard, and all the way back. And we were studying in my class this morning, and uh, there's a passage in the New Testament where Jesus is in the synagogue, and he reads Isaiah 61. It says, I've, came, I've come to do these things, heal, heal, and uh, raise from the dead, all of these things. And he's in the synagogue as a visiting rabbi, and he reads Isaiah 61, and then he, he fold, rolls it up, and he sets it down, and he says, today, he sits down, and they're all staring at him. And he says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, you're looking at the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. You're looking at him. Can you imagine being in the synagogue that day? Here's what you thought. This guy's a nut. But they knew they had seen what he had done. All the things that are written in Isaiah 61, he'd been doing those things. And he's saying to them, I'm... The guy that Isaiah was talking about, it's me. Before Abraham was, the theme of our series, I am. I'm the one who told Abraham what I was going to do. I'm the one who told Adam and Eve, walked with them in the cool of the garden, told Satan, I'm going to send a seed. I, by the way, I am 
that seed. I am the one who's going to crush Satan. Every prophecy, 300 plus at least, in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled while on earth. I am Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim. Pick a name for God. You're looking at him. I'm God in the flesh. So now he says, verse 6, 7. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not hear them. Context is real important. So he says, I am the door. First bullet point there in your handout. I'm the door to truth. Verse 6, the scribes and the Pharisees, quote, did not understand. Jesus had just given this great illustration about the true shepherd and the sheep fold and the, and the sheep hear the true shepherd. They follow their shepherd. He calls them by name. He knows them. It's personal. It's not hands off. He knew each sheep. He loved them. He cared for them. He would leave the 99 and go look for the one. That parable, that picture. But this illustration. So here he's saying, the Pharisees don't get it. So emphatically, verse 7, Jesus says to them, I am that door. I just told you, gave you the illustration, visual aid. Jesus said, see right here, had a little PowerPoint going on. He said, now look, I'm the door. In case you, 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 for those of you that don't get it, like the scribes and the Pharisees, I'm the door. I call the sheep by name, every one of them, and they come to me. I lead them out. What do I lead them out of? Context. I lead them out of false sheep, leaders, thieves, and robbers. I lead them out of that to pasture. Old Testament principle. We all know Psalm 23, that picture. David was a shepherd, on and on. I lead them out of what the scribes, context, I lead them out of what the scribes and the Pharisees offer because they're thieves and robbers. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to lead you out. More about that in a moment. And notice verse 7. Just, it's very important. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. There's a shit. There's a shift. Be careful when you say that. There's a shift. Did you hear what the preacher said today? Oh, my God. There's a shift here in the Greek. It's so beautiful. He's been giving them, he's a master teacher, obviously. He's been giving them this great illustration about the door and the sheepfold, something that they all would understand in third-person general illustration. Now notice verse 7. What does he say here? Not the sheep, not the shepherd, but what? I, I, it shifts, shifts, hold your tongue and say that three times, all right. Oh my goodness, it shifts from general third person to specific first person. It's no longer that there's a shepherd out there who's a good shepherd, the true shepherd. Jesus is saying, look at me, I am that door. We're going to see next week what it means that he's the good shepherd. I'm the door. It's not just some concept and something that's out there. It's me. This principle is so important for us to understand. He's contrasting going from I 
going to I and me. Look at verse 8 again. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't hear them. The contrast Jesus saying with the false teachers, the scribes and the Pharisees, it's going to be very personal with me. I, I, I. You, you, you. No matter who you are, Jesus is saying, I want to be your shepherd. I want to save you. I want to lead you out. I love that metaphor. We'll talk about it again in a moment. I want to give you green pasture, still waters. Think for a moment to Golgotha, to Calvary, where Jesus is in the process of he's being tortured been beaten beyond recognition. His vital organs are exposed from that scourging. They put him on the cross. The crown of thorns. He sweat blood. He's dying for the sins of the world. God is pouring out his wrath on him. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul wrote the church at Corinth. In the process of that happening, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Individuals standing at the foot of the cross, like the Roman centurion who says in that moment, truly this man was the son of God. Jesus was saying to that centurion, I want to be your shepherd, despite what you've done to me today. To the thief on the cross hanging next to Jesus, who'd been mocking him along with the other thief, who'd been mocking Jesus, saying, hey, if you're God, why don't you save yourself and us? He'd also been participating in that. And then he realizes, wait a minute, I deserve to be here. And he says to Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? So personal, intimate, real. What does Jesus say to him? Today, you're going to die. Jesus says, today, you, personal, will be with me, personal, in paradise. I know you don't deserve it. You're not going to get down on the cross, give any money, get baptized, go to church a few times. You're not doing any of that. But guess where you're going to go when you die today? You're going to go with me to paradise. I was joking with someone this week. We were talking about when you die, you know the old story, you die and you get to the gates and St. Peter's checking the list to see if you're on the list, if you're going to get in. Now, obviously, that's not the way it is. But let's say it was for a moment. You know what I'm going to say when I get there? Uh, you see that guy over there sitting on the throne? I'm with him. I'm with him. He told me nobody could ever take me out of his hand. I'm with him. It's personal. This principle is vital for us to understand as Christians. Our faith in Jesus Christ is not our religion. It is our life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'll never forget when I finally understood that verse. And Wayne Barber was teaching on it and it, it, we were studying Philippians and it just hit me. Wow. That's why it's on the wall in my office and everywhere I go. I, I love to share that principle. It's personal. Jesus is the shepherd who loves the sheep. I love, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, what makes a, a shepherd good is that if there's, one, if there's a dumb sheep, and I would be one of those, a dumb sheep who's not doing what he's supposed to, running off, 
What would the shepherd do? He'd break his legs. Well, that doesn't sound good. Why'd he break his legs? Because if you got broken legs, where are you running to? You ain't running anywhere. And so he not only would break the sheep's legs, what would he do then? Pick it up and carry that sheep with the broken legs everywhere he needed and heal the broken legs, mend the brokenhearted. And then once Jesus has mended your legs and your heart, are you going to run away from him again? Mm -mm, He won't let you. That's Christianity. And most people you know, even in Memphis, the buckle of the Bible belt, don't understand it that way. They think, i got to do something. So God will let me in. You can't do enough. You can't do it. He did it for you. You know why? Because he's the door. Let's get back to it. So he contrasts himself. Verse 8. All who ever came before me, notice the verb. The next word, the next verb. Are present tense verb. That's how you know he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. These guys that are before me, that are your leaders. No, they're not. They're thieves and robbers. They're thieves and robbers. In the chapter before, the blind beggar, they stole from him truth about the Sabbath, about the law, and about the shepherd. And then Jesus comes along. They excommunicated the guy a couple weeks ago. We saw they threw him out of the synagogue. Because he didn't agree with them. All he said was, I don't know. I'm telling you, I've been blind my whole life. This guy, Jesus, healed me. That's all I know. And they kicked him out for it. Very loving spiritual leaders, huh? No. And I love the picture in John 9. If you haven't read it, please do. They kick him out of the synagogue, which for a Jew was the worst possible thing that could happen to you. You couldn't, you couldn't. Function socially, your family would ignore you, uh, ostracize you, you couldn't, you couldn't uh, interact, you couldn't do business. You got excommunicated, you were in trouble. And the Bible says Jesus sought him out because he loved him. He loved him. The righteous trust him. In Matthew 23, I'm just going to read it to you. You don't have to turn there. In Matthew 23, listen to the words of Jesus Christ as he addresses these Pharisees, these false shepherds. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Direct quote from Jesus Christ. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Second time now. For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. I told you God is serious about this. That was my aside. Continuing, Jesus says, for the third time, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of men and anus and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. All you're worried about is the money. My aside, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape? These are the words of Jesus Christ to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? End quote. Do you think he was serious about them being false teachers? Yeah. 
Let me read you a passage from the Old Testament. Remember, they're Jews. From Ezekiel. Listen to the words of God to the leaders of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And the word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. The shepherds of Israel. Prophesy against them. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel. The exact same terminology Jesus used. Woe to the shepherds of Israel. They feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, or brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you've ruled them. Pause. Aside. You read through the Gospels, you see Jesus, all the things that God says to the prophet... Ezekiel to say to the shepherds, Jesus then comes along and says, this is what, if the, she- if the sheep runs off, I'll go get him. The parable of the lost coin, the lost son, the lost sheep. Jesus said, this is the way it should be, not the way it is. Back to Ezekiel. With force and cruelty, you've ruled them. They were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep, God says, wandered through the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. No one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, my flock became food for every beast of the field. Because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. End quote. Jeremiah, another prophet, look what he writes. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. So to another prophet, God says the same thing. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not tended to them. Attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. End quote. I think that says it pretty clearly. You haven't attended to my sheep, I'm going to attend to you. You don't want God, you've heard me, I've joked about this for years, and I don't mean it jokingly, but to get the point, you don't want God woeing on you. Woe, 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 Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees. You're hypocrites, blind guys, all the things we talked about. You're going to hell through Ezekiel. Woe, woe through Jeremiah. Woe. Second Peter, the apostle Peter writes these words. As there were false prophets among the people, even so there will be false teachers among you, writing to the church. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Would you pause for a moment and reflect on that phrase? They will secretly bring in destructive 
heresies. And if you don't think that's going on in the church in America right now, you're not paying attention. Secretly, bring them in. Even denying the Lord who bought them, Jesus, denying Jesus, bring on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth or Jesus will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. That word deceptive in, in uh, our, our Bible, we get our, uh, in Greek, we get our English word plastic from it. In other words, they would take words and what? Mold them, shape them, whatever the way they need to do to deceive you, false teachers. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. In other words, are they fooling God? End quote. Are they fooling God? No. God knows. Second Peter continues, Peter continues, but these, like natural brute beasts, Made to be caught and destroyed, they speak evil of the things they do not understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Right there hanging out with you, coming to the church fellowships, and all they're interested in is themselves. For when they speak great swelling words, back to Second Peter, of emptiness, I'll read that again, it's a beautiful metaphor. Great swelling words of emptiness. Sound like a politician, doesn't it? Great swelling words of emptiness. They sound good, nothing there. Continuing, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who've actually escaped from those who live in error. They promise liberty, Yet they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by whom he's also brought into bondage. End quote. One last quote, and then we're going to move on. When I'm, I'm reading five different authors, so you'll note, is God serious about this? Always has been, always will be. Finally, in Jude says, these are spots in your love feasts when the church would come together. They feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water. What a cool metaphor. Clouds without water. They're carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. End quote. Now back to your handout. Jesus said, I'm the door to truth. Like C.S. Lewis said, he either is what he said he was, I'm paraphrasing, he's either a liar, he's a lord, he's a lunatic, C.S. Lewis put it this way, he's like someone who's on the level of, they think they're a poached egg. In other words, they're crazy. Jesus was either crazy, con man, or he was God. You want to know the truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. We'll get to that one, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. One of the things that's ripping the church in America apart right now, the reason we have no moral backbone, is we've accepted moral relativism and pluralism as God being okay with it. 
that Jesus is a way, not the way. I'm not talking about Christ church, but I'm talking about the church in general throughout. Why is the church so much more powerful in third world countries than it is in the United States of America? Because they believe Jesus is the only way a man can know God. That's what he said. He's either God or we're wasting our time. Let's go play golf. He said, I am. And the exciting thing about it is he proved that he was the great I am. And we get to tell people about him. Which is the next point on your handout. He's not only the door to truth. He's the door to salvation. Look at verse 9. Door to salvation. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I love to memorize little verses like that. You know, Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be what? Be saved. There's a wrath to come. We be saved from it in Christ. Illustration I used earlier, when I get to the door, the gate, I'm with Jesus. You can't keep me out. I'm with him. We're his bride. Is he going to lock his bride out? Of course not. We're his bride. The door to salvation. This is Jesus' application of the illustration of the door, that metaphor. I am the door. Entrance. Anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Delivered. Safe and sound is what it literally means in Greek. Saved. Delivered, safe, and sound. Delivered. Guilt, shame, eternal separation from God, fear. John 1, 12 says, he came to his own, his own received him not. Verse 11 and verse 12 says, but to as many as received him, he gave them the right, the privilege, the authority to become what? Children of God. I didn't earn it. I can't buy it. And I'll never be good enough to deserve it. Jesus Gave me a gift, eternal life, which begins now. I read a great article about what it means to have eternal life a couple weeks ago. It's fascinating. It was written probably 20 years ago. It was a young man talking. He had just gotten saved. And the preacher sits down beside him on the bus, and they're just talking. And he asked him, young man, how excited are you about being saved when you get to go to heaven when you die? And he says, oh, that's great. He says, that's not really what I'm excited about. And this is so important, particularly I think about like young people, which is basically everybody in the room is younger than me, with a couple of exceptions. But for guys like you, what a great time in your life to be a teenager and entering young adulthood. Get this principle. Because here's what the young man told the preacher on the bus that day. I'm really excited that I know I get to go to heaven when I die. Man, when you're 18, 19 years old, you don't think about Dying, 30, 40, 50 years old, you don't think about dying. 60-something years old, you think about it. And the Bible tells me it's the best day of my life. Here's what the young kid told, young man told the preacher. You know what I'm really excited about? Is now I'm not going to live a wasted life. Man, grab that principle. Whether I live 40, 50, 60, I just... We talked about it a couple weeks ago. A dear friend, I just did his funeral. He was 101. Still nothing compared with eternity. 
So whether, whether, whatever you got, you know, the great plans, what you're going to do with your life, having your own children, your own families, and your own careers, and for all of us, wherever you happen to be, Jesus saves you from not having a purpose in life. One of the most exciting things for me is knowing that I wake up every day and I know that I'm doing exactly what God created me to do. Before he created the universe, he knew this is what I'm going to save Randy to do. Took me a while to get there, but he got me there. And every day, I get to live it out. And it doesn't matter whether you're a preacher or, like me, a greeting card salesman, a teacher, an architect, whatever you do with your life, the call on your life is, I am a Christ follower. Why? Because he's the door. You see, he leads you to hope. He leads you to peace. He leads you to freedom. He leads the sheep out. And it's permanent. Acts chapter 4, the Bible says, There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Look back at verse 9 again. Salvation tied in with that security. Verse 9, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. Again, hang with me with this metaphor. It's so beautiful. Security. You go in and out. In Greek, this was an idiom used by the Jews to describe daily life. Despite all that was going on, the sheep, because they had a good shepherd, were able to go in and out of the fold and be safe. You see, salvation, we just talked about, is eternal life. But it's also right now. And when you go through the door, Jesus being the only door, you're able to go in and out with him in perfect freedom. John 8, the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. The veil, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple, the Holy of Holies being torn in two, symbolized we have access because beyond the veil was the presence of God and nobody went beyond the veil. They tore it in two in the temple. God tore it in two in the temple when Jesus dying on the cross. That earthquake symbolizing, and Hebrews even writes about it, we go beyond the veil in Christ. I'm God's little boy, and I can talk to my daddy anytime I want to. And so can you. You don't need a priest. You don't need a preacher. You are a priest. You are a preacher of the gospel. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. You're his little boy. You're his little girl. You get to talk to your daddy anytime. Perfect freedom. He lets you go in and out. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. No matter what it is, you're with me. Verse 9 again, you go in and out. I love this one. You find pasture. You find pasture. Back in that same passage you read earlier from Ezekiel 34, here's what God says he's going to do as the good shepherd, true shepherd. I'll feed my sheep in good pasture. Their folds shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold. 
and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I'll make them lie down, says the Lord God. They can relax. They can rest. We can relax. We can rest because God's going to take care of us. He's going to find pasture. For he's going to feed us. Psalm 23 again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And you understand the sheep metaphor. You realize that's what they get. They got to have still water, good pasture. And they're so dumb, they can't do it without the shepherd. Jesus is going to take care of us. And then finally, verse 10. He's the door to meaning. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come, personal pronoun. I've come, but they might have life, sheep, and have it more abundantly. This, this verse has been so misused by preachers and uh, so mistaught. Real simple in context. The, the thief, or the false shepherd, in this case described in the Pharisees, most people say this is Satan. Obviously it can be Satan. But in the immediate context, he's talking about false teachers, described in the Pharisees. All those who came before me, they came to steal, to kill, destroy. I, personal pronoun, the door, I've come that you can have life and have it more abundantly. And for people to preach that this is talking about money is such a, I won't use the word I'm thinking, such a mis- truth, tearing this apart. The whole context is your sheep who desperately need someone to guide you, I'm going to do that. Every day you're going to have life. I want you to have it abundantly. The Bible says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that's worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Meaning, security, freedom. Jesus Christ offers it all. I want to read you a quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and then we're done. This is what it means to us as well. When Jesus calls, he leads us out of blindness and darkness. The philosophy of the world could be summed up in one phrase, me first. Look out for number one. Take care of number one. That's the one characteristic of the world that stands out. Everything is focused on the question, what will it do for me? What will I get out of it? When a person comes to Christ, almost immediately you see evidences that he's begun to think about others. In fact, the rate of Christian growth can be measured by how much a person begins to reach out to others and to think about others instead of himself. Christianity is an others-centered faith. When you hear Christians so-called still focusing on themselves and what happens to them, their rights, their needs, you're listening to a fleshly substitute for Christianity. The real thing is to be let out. And that's the very first thing our Lord does with us. He leads us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we know the door, that Jesus Christ is that door. Not only that we can be saved, 
I think so many times we think, like, I get to go to heaven, that's it. No, no. So much more, more Father, and you're teaching us in your word, and I pray we're understanding. It's about living a life now that matters and has meaning, is not wasted, no matter what age we are. That Jesus leads us out and sets us free, free to be his slave, because that's where freedom is, in the master's house. So we thank you for our door. Jesus is the great I am. We're grateful. We're humbled. And pray you just use us, sheep that have been set free, to show others where they can find freedom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand while we close out our time together.
Thank you. Thank you. There's a couple of things that I'll mention to him. Ask Mike to come up and close us in prayer. He's already up here. Quick. Remember, we do need to, uh, we got, again, it's being a Labor Day weekend. We have people out doing other things. So if you can, hang around and help us stack all these chairs up and get them out of the way and get set up for the, the coming week for uh, after school care. I really appreciate that. Uh, don't stack them any higher than 10. I think what the number we use. John knows what's going on. I don't, I'm just here. But help us get them out of the way. If you're visiting with us, thank you for choosing to worship with us today. And we've got a gift for you at Welcome Center out there. If you've got any questions, you can write them on a Connect card at the black boxes. And they'll get to me or you can contact me. And info's in the bulletin. Just uh, we appreciate you being here if you've chosen to worship with us today. We'll remind you again, we do, we're doing Wednesday nights now. If you want to come and eat with us at 6, you can sign up for that. If you just want to come at 6.30 and uh, we'll have a little time together around the Word and we got uh, teenagers, students across the street, children in here, and I'll be in here. So uh, that's Wednesday night. Uh, we, we start eating about 6 and everything else kicks off about 6.30. So if you like to participate in that, thank you again, all of you, whether you're here or not. Thank you for continuing to pray, and um, thank you for your faithful giving. It's made possible. We're making great progress next door, and this can uh, hope uh, obviously that continues. We can get be praying that we can get the materials we need, so we can get done what needs to be done. But uh, Steve has done a great job, and and we're making progress. So we're excited about that. Uh, last thing I'll mention, and let Mike pray if he won't say anything. Again, if you're interested in finding out who Christ Church is, uh, what we're all about. That class is going to start September 19th. They'll meet at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. And Mike will be the guy who's teaching it. So why don't you close us in prayer, Mike.